Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, the Mail Plus's weekly show bringing you all of the latest royal news and gossip recorded just down the road from Kensington Palace. I'm Jo Elvin and here's what you have to look forward to this week. Well, we're all getting our heads around the new Christmas lockdown rules and the royals are no different. We discuss who will be pulling crackers with whom on the big day. Plus, the royal house swap as Harry and Meghan hand over the keys of Frogmore Cottage to Princess Eugenie. We ask what this means for their promised return to the UK. And Buckingham Palace is getting a refurb. Rebecca English tells us all about the Queen's interior design ambitions. Well, joining us for today's show is the Daily Mail's man about town, Richard Eden, and returning to Palace for a second time. Is she mad? It's broadcaster Julia Hartley Brewer. Welcome. We'll have more from both of them throughout the show. But first, the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, drew praise for an article she wrote for The New York Times in which she said she had experienced a miscarriage earlier in the year. The Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, joins us now via Skype to tell us more. Rebecca, hello and welcome. Hi, Joe. Now, why do you think the Duchess of Sussex chose to share this really traumatic experience? It was a beautifully written piece, wasn't it? Um, And quite unexpected. And I think everybody's hearts went out to her or still going out to her and Prince Harry. Um, She said it took a while for her to write it because it really took her this long to come to terms with it. But during that process of healing, she discovered that she really wasn't alone and that it's an issue that affects a lot of women. In fact, in the UK, one in four pregnancies actually end very sadly in miscarriage. So she understood that not everybody likes to talk about it and some people feel they can't actually talk about it in public. But that in speaking out about her personal situation, maybe it might, you know, provide some comfort to other women in the same situation. Um, She also made the kind of wider point that 2020 has been a year of great tragedy and loss for the global community and that maybe, you know, it's time for us all to reach out, you know, given that we've all been through such a difficult experience this year. There does seem to be a real movement in the royal family, doesn't there? There just seems to be more ease and comfort with sharing such deeply personal experiences that the royals really used to tend to shy away from and almost be advised to shy away from. Is this a huge shift again? You're right. It's something they traditionally haven't spoken about. But, you know, they would argue that just because they're in this very public forward facing position doesn't mean they should have to talk about some very personal issues in public. That said, you're right, we have seen uh, a change in this in recent years. We've seen Zara Tyndall speak uh, with great emotion about two miscarriages that she suffered. And Harry and William, of course, have spoken a number of times now about the effect that the loss of their mother had on them and the kind of their own personal mental health issues as a result of that. So we are seeing a sea change. And I think it's probably a generational thing. It's, it's not to say that one's wrong and one's right, but I think the royals now are reflecting uh, a generation that does like to, to share and to be a bit more open about these things. Thanks, Rebecca. We'll have more from you soon. Julia, I'm going to come to you. Um, The great gladiatorial arena of Twitter 
is certainly very divided in opinion about whether Meghan should or should not have shared this deeply personal information. What, what's your view? Well, I think she does rather overshare, and I'm sure that many senior royals think that. But actually, on this, I think she did the right thing. I think it's a beautifully written article. Um, and as someone who, like, again, one in four women have, share, have, have had a miscarriage, and I'm one of them. I had suffered four miscarriages. Only had a one child out of five pregnancies. I know what she's talking about. It really spoke to me as someone who suffered miscarriages. And, and also the fact that she brought in the pain for her husband, Prince Harry. It wasn't just her who had a miscarriage. Mm. The couple lost their baby. Um, and, and I know, you know, what my husband and I went through with ours. I think it was actually the first time I really wanted to hear her sharing. I think it's really, really important uh, that women do talk about this experience. It happens to so many. And I think she's actually done some good. And I say that as someone who's been one of her staunchest critics about the sort of the me, 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 drama queen, pity me, pity me, kind of things. I don't think she was even asking for pity. I think she wanted to share what was a really difficult experience. And I think it's incredibly cathartic to be open about it. So on this, I 100% commend her. What's your mm. view, Richard? I thought it was very interesting. It was um, a very moving article and encouraged conversations like I had with my wife about this subject. And I thought the, the article was interesting that it touched on wider areas. And she referred back to her sort of almost infamous interview with Tom Bradby where he asked if she was okay and she got lots of criticism about that at the time um, for sort of you know hijacking this tour of Africa and this sort of thing but she was making the point that it's um, it's good to ask if others are okay and she was sort of reclaiming that I think from the criticism she's had so I think there was a wider purpose yeah. behind her article. What do you think if any indication this gives about how she sees her role going forward, is it as a, a royal role model? Definitely. Mm. I think she's, um, you know, she's, I mean, there's no question she's breaking new ground. I mean, it made me wonder, it's very hard to imagine the Duchess of Cambridge writing a similar article, really. Um, maybe she will in the future now, but it's, it has been groundbreaking, I think. And partly, well, possibly because of the freedom she now has. You know, she'd probably say that palace press officers wouldn't have wanted her to write that in the past. Mm. And that's the big difference, isn't it? Because you've got this picture-perfect family in William and Kate and, and you know, having three gorgeous, healthy children very quickly, apparently, I mean, other than the horrific morning sickness, apparently otherwise, you know, things going well. Um, and and I, I wonder where, you know, whether people are looking towards the royal family as they used to the past, as this perfect, idealised family uh, on a pedestal, or whether they do want royal family members and people still regard Meghan and Harry as royals, um, to be people who are like us, who go through things like us, who go through grief and sorrow and, and difficulties and problems with their fathers, their, uh, you know, their, their, their family members. And actually, maybe that does make them more real. I mean, no doubt at all, she will engender an awful lot of compassion and sympathy for this. Um, I hope it can be used in a very positive way. I hope people, you know, if you're feeling compassionate about this, send some money to a charity yeah. that helps yeah. deal with and help people with miscarriage or researches it. And let's do something useful and practical with it. But I do think it's a general rule talking about these things is, is overall, I think, a very good thing. Mm. And I think just goes to show that you just never know who is going through something yeah. like that. It's, I think it's been very brave, actually. Yeah. When it comes to the royals handling moments of great emotional resonance, few moments were more difficult than the death of Princess Diana. Former press spokesman Dickie Arbiter remembers the challenge for the Queen of balancing being a grandmother with being the head of state. 
I was media managing the whole of the media output. In other words, I was responsible for all the locations. I was responsible for making sure that television and radio got the facilities they wanted in order to be able to do a credible broadcast. The royals were getting pilloried. Uh, by the media. The media sort of run out of steam by the time we got to the middle of the week and they were looking for things. Let's have a go at the Queen because she's remained at Balmoral. Tens of thousands of people milling around Buckingham Palace and Kensington Gardens and not a royal to be seen. Well, at the end of the day, the Queen was putting family before duty and comforting her grandsons who were up there at the time of their mother's death. And uh, you've got to ask yourself, well, where should a grandparent be? Comforting the grandsons or down in London watching tens of thousands of people milling around sort of weeping and wailing uh, the answer is she stood her ground and she stayed up at Balmoral but it was a difficult week we had the flag issue uh, which was finally resolved at the end of the week the Queen when the Queen came down on the Friday she did two walkabouts she looked at the floral tributes she talked to mourners standing there she put down their floral tributes against the bank of flowers that was swelling by the minute um, and on the way out, there was a 12-year-old girl, 11-year-old, I think she was, um, who had some roses, either roses or carnations, can't remember now. And the Queen said, can I put those down for you? And the girl, Katie Jones, said, no, Your Majesty, these are for you. And uh, on the way out, she kind of looked at me with that look, you've got to read the Queen. She doesn't say much to you, but, but you can read what's going through her mind. Uh, and I just nodded as if to say, yeah, that was fine. And then she went inside and two hours later, she did that very historic um, paying tribute to Diana on live television with her back to the open doors. And the idea of having the doors open was that so the buzz from outside would be heard um, over the, 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 the uh, tribute to Diana. Since last Sunday's dreadful news, we have seen throughout Britain and around the world an overwhelming expression of sadness at Diana's death. In, in kind of making sure that there wasn't a separation between the people milling around and the people watching on television. And it actually worked. And at the end of the uh, tribute, there was tremendous applause from outside. So, yeah, we, we got most of it right. Well, earlier this week, we perhaps got an indication that Harry and Meghan won't be returning to the UK anytime soon when it was revealed that Princess Eugenie and her husband Jack Brooksbank are moving into their old home, Frogmore Cottage in Windsor. Rebecca English is back with us now. Rebecca, this seems like it was quite an abrupt move. Were you surprised? I'm not going to lie. This was a bolt from the blue. Um, but yeah, Harry and Meghan have confirmed that they are allowing Princess Eugenie and Jack Brookbank, who are obviously expecting their first baby in a matter of weeks, really, to live at Frogmore Cottage. And in fact, we actually saw the removal van bringing some of their stuff in this week. Eugenie and Harry are said to be quite close cousins, but do you think the Queen would have had a say in this? Yes, Harry and Princess Eugenie are really close. They're, in fact, probably the closest amongst the cousins. But no, the Queen didn't have a say in it at all. It was organised between themselves and Buckingham Palace were told this is what they're going to do and the palace said look this is the Sussexes private home and it's a matter for them. That said Eugenie is a real favourite of the Queen so I can't imagine that she would be displeased that you know her, her beloved granddaughter who is expecting uh, another great grandchild will be living just down the road now. So this does beg the question though when Harry and Meghan I mean at some point they will return even for a visit where, where will they stay will they be bunking up with their cousins at Frogmore? Literally that's exactly what they'll be doing they'll be shacking up with um, 
Chris says, usually and Jack at Frogmore. I mean, I think it does suggest that they're not going to be back that often. Um, we don't know how long this arrangement is going to last, by the way. It could only be for a year until Eugenie finds her own place to live in the locality, which is close to her parents. But um, I, my gut feeling is this is an indication that their visits are going to be few and far between to the UK. Rebecca, does this mean another expensive makeover for Frogmore Cottage? Is this going to cost we taxpayers more again? I, I can't see that happening at all. I mean, uh, it's I know people have visited Frogmore and it's very tastefully done, apparently. I don't think there'll be any appetite um, for her to change it. But also, it's been really stressed by both the Sussexes and Buckingham Palace. This is still Harry and Meghan's home. They've paid off all of the taxpayers' money and it's their home for as long as they want it. Uh, very interesting. Richard and Julia, I mean, it, used to, it really did amuse me reading about what a dump Frogmore Cottage was <laughs> before the bazillion dollar reefer yeah. but what, what do you make of all of this i mean surely it means they're really not coming back in a hurry are they i mean i know that harry and megan have um have sort of made clear that they're happy to stay with um you know jack and usually at this house but i just don't think that will happen i think realistically on the rare occasions that they do come back if they come back at all they'll go back to frogmore cottage and jack and usually would move out and live with or stay with um her parents at royal lodge where even though fergie and andrew are separated are divorced they still live in the same house, remarkably. See, I'm not even royal and I wouldn't be putting up with that. No, I, I wouldn't be moving out. I can't <laughs> so, imagine yeah. Megan's the easiest house guest, <laughs> with all due respect to her. Um, I, I find it extraordinary. I think most people watching this, even if you are a staunch royalist, the fact that these are incredibly wealthy people apparently just have to be given houses all over the places. And again, it's either, it's either a private residence or it's not a private residence. Why was my taxpayers' money used to refurbish a, a, tax, a, a, a residence that apparently is a private one? Uh, Eugenie and Jack, they've got plenty of money, thank you very much. Go and, go and buy or rent your own home. Uh, Harry, I think, is different. You know, you've got to remember, there is the massive uh, security issue for Harry because he served in Afghanistan and because you know, he is the Queen's grandson. There is uh, clearly that specific issue uh, for him. But um, I have to say, I just despair of these people who... Again, it's one thing for the royalty to be, you know, uh, sort of seen as being different from the likes of us and people yeah. accept that with the Queen and the direct line. When you have this whole array of royals who are just sort of seen to be freeloading and getting somewhere lovely to go and live, and it's not a cottage, it's five houses in one, I think it really does irk quite a lot of no, taxpayers. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? You've got this property basically sitting vacant while Harry and Meghan are in America. Make sense to yeah, have some house maybe, maybe that house could have been used for other things in the first place. Well, away from royal circles, the big news this week has been the Prime Minister's announcement of a Christmas COVID break. Yippee! Yes, up to three households can come together for five days over Christmas week. But for those of us with big families, such as the Windsors, this means a lot of festive politics to negotiate. Rebecca, this sounds like a fun job for the courtiers, working overtime on the Christmas guest list. That's exactly what they're doing at the moment, although they tell me that they're, like the rest of us, they're waiting to find out what tier they're going to be in and, and what they're going to be allowed to do. Um, but I'm told we will expect some news about from them about the Christmas plans pretty imminently. And what, what about the staff? What about factoring in the numbers needed for them to be there for Christmas? Well, absolutely. The Queen already operates in this kind of bubble wherever she goes, like, like everybody else does. But hers is obviously complicated by the fact that she has a, a lot more staff than any of us do. Um, and that will actually have an effect on what members of her family she has to visit over Christmas. It's going to look a very, very different Christmas for the Queen and Prince Philip, as it will do for the rest of us, I have to say. 
Yes. Do you think this might be a Ladbrokes moment? If you had to guess, who do you think is going to make the cut at Sandringham? Well, I think at first it depends on where they are, whether they will make it to Sandringham, which is exactly what they were hoping to do, uh, or whether they decide to stay at the Windsor for the first time in eons. If they're at Sandringham, I would say uh, William and Kate would be a good bet with the children to pop in, as will be Charles and Camilla. But, you know, their guest list will be very much thinned down. I have to say maybe Prince Philip is quite secretly hoping for that as well. (laughs) Prince Andrew? Yeah, I'm not going to say anything on that. (laughs) Let's come to the studio. Julia, some people in the country will be thrilled to have a legal excuse not to visit yes. their family. Do you think the royal family will be any different? Exactly. I mean, it's basically a three-line whip, isn't it? You have to turn up if you're expected to turn up. It's going to be very different. And I think a lot of us were wondering what happens with the staff, but presumably, again, yeah, the staff are part of the household bubble. And, and to a certain extent, wherever the Queen is, that's almost an office as well as a home, isn't it? Um, but again, as we were just hearing there, once you've got Prince Charles and Camilla and William and Kate, well, that's your three households used up. It's very much going to be who's favourite, who's not favourite. But I did think maybe... They might want to do that. You might want to do the minor royals, and then Charles can have perhaps at his household. He can, you know, have his the second, uh-huh. here, and maybe Prince William as well. But I suppose it's yeah. It's, we're going to find out who is number one and number two very, very quickly. Uh-huh. Although are we're we? not going to see that That's royal the walk thing. about. Are but, we? Uh, yeah, exactly, are we, or will this all be shrouded in some sort of Christmas secrecy? No, it's very difficult for all of us. We've got to decide, you know, about who's um, spending Christmas with whom. But I think, like in Prince William's case, it's it's particularly awkward because he's always been willing to break convention and stay with the Middletons um, rather than um, they went to Sandringham later at Christmas, sometimes in Boxing Day or something like that. And now, you know, he really wouldn't want to be parted from spending Christmas with the Middletons and, mm. um, you know, they've got three children. So it's, it's very difficult. Um, and I don't really envy the courtiers having to try and work it all no, out. No, but then there's also... I mean, let's face it, in a country of millions, some people will bend the rules. I mean, do you think that the Queen should be allowed to have a bit of a wriggle room on the, the rigidity of the rules? The problem they've got is that they really can't, because as head of state, the Queen's got to set an example. Oh, that boring answer. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only reason these rules have been brought in, because the government knows millions of people are saying, look, we're going to see our family members, whether you like it or not. Absolutely. I, I very much feel very strongly that um, even if many millions of people do sneak an extra aunt in at the table or not against the law. I'm not condoning it, but lots of people are going to do it. The royal family and all our politicians need to be absolute stickers to the letter and the spirit. Do, of the do you really think we won't see the Sandringham parade that we normally do? I always quite look forward to, you know, the new well, the and, churches are yeah. open, certainly. But again, they don't want to encourage crowds to gather, do they? Even outside. So no. that might be a bit of an issue. And the whole point of Sandringham was the big get together, really. Mm. So if they can't have that, it might make much more sense and staff wise as well for the Queen and Prince Philip to stay at Windsor. Either way, I can't wait to see this episode of The Crown. I was going to say, it's going to be a very cheap episode of The Crown. No extras required. Moving on. Like many of us who have spent more time at home this year, the Queen has been sprucing things up at Buckingham Palace. And this week, new photos have been released as the decorators reached the iconic picture gallery. Rebecca English is with us now. Now, Rebecca, they've been taking a look at quite some quite special paintings. Yeah, so look, just maybe helpful to put it in a little bit of context. We already know that Buckingham Palace is undergoing a £369 million 
10-year refurbishment program. Um, that work has been undergoing for a number of years. It's obviously not a good time for them to be spending taxpayers' money like this, but the work is necessary. That's the bottom line. Um, the electrics of plumbing are so out of date. Some of them haven't been changed since the Second World War and now considered a major fire risk. So Buckingham Palace have said, look, we're not going to ask for any money. We're going to have to make do and mend as we can. And what they've been showing us this week is how it's going behind the scenes. And attention has turned to the picture gallery, which is one of the staterooms, uh, where a lot of official functions have been held in the past. And if even if you're not lucky enough to have attended one at Buckingham Palace, you'll probably recognise it from some of the pictures if you're a bit of a royal fan. What they've done is they have now um, taken down 65 grand masters from the walls, and it's the first time they've moved in 45 years. They're now going to be displayed from next month to the public at the Queen's Gallery next door. Um, and they, Buckingham Palace released this really quite fabulous time-lapse video showing them undertaking that work. I mean, who would want to be responsible for taking down a, you know, a Rembrandt or a Canaletto or a Titian from the walls? I know I wouldn't. Now, is this ahead of an exhibition that's going to be put on there? So the old masters that have been taken down from the walls of Buckingham Palace, there's a gallery next door to the palace called the Queen's Gallery, and they are going to go on display in a kind of COVID-sensitive manner to members of the public. I mean, the, the Royal Collection Trust holds some pretty impressive works of art. I mean, it will be quite an unrivaled opportunity to see them if you get the chance to go to London and have a look. Now, this Buckingham Palace refurbishment, how long has it been going on now? I mean, what is there left to do? Well, the whole thing, basically. I mean, they are literally uh, tackling the palace from top to bottom. Um, and what they're doing, because obviously it is the Queen's official office, um, they're, they're moving people around as they go, um, moving from place to place to place. That said, members of the royal family who have apartments there to stay overnight, that would be the Queen, um, uh, uh, Princess Anne, the Wessexes, uh, the Duke of York, they've all been moved out to other premises. Um, so it really is just the kind of bare bones of a of a working office. Um, but what they're doing, it, it, it's an enormous amount of work, as I say, will will take 10 years to complete. And will there be a big reveal for the public when on the day that it's, you know, at the time that it's completed? Uh, I don't know if they've thought that far ahead, but of course, hopefully we will get, there will be a big reveal in as much as the palace is open to the public every summer. So you will actually get the chance to to see the work done. I'm, although I'm not sure actually how much difference we'll notice because I say a lot of it is behind the scenes. It's the electrics, it's the, it's the roofs, it's the wiring, it's the plumbing, but I, I'm sure they will try and show as many people as they can where our money has gone. Well, thank you for that, Rebecca. Well, I mean, I've been to Buckingham Palace. <laughs> does need a coat of paint. <laughs> Sadly, that's all we have time for this week. My thanks to our guests as ever, Rebecca English, Julia Hartley-Brewer, Richard Eden and Dickie Arbiter. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And of course, you can come back next week and join me, Joe Elvin, for more Palace Confidential. Mm -hmm.